right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as we have wrapped up day three of our Media Day, Media Week sessions. Uh, didn't podcast yesterday, decided against it. I had a couple things I wanted to take care of, including... Signing a lease on an apartment. I am going to be living on my own and doing some great stuff. And I plan on turning the the office space into a really good podcast area. Potentially do some video. Potentially do some uh, some YouTube stuff. That's that's on the potential horizon here for me at Denver Stiffs and YouTube. But uh, enough of that. Enough of that. I am. I'm just really in a good place. I'm. I'm very excited. And I was gifted today with some great content, and there were a lot of players today that spoke. There were some that spoke yesterday, uh, Nikola Jokic, P.J. Dozier, um, a couple others, Peter Cornelly, Marcus Howard included. Uh, Nikola Jokic was great yesterday. He was a very interesting interview in that it looked like he was in a good spot, gave some great quotes. Uh I hope that he stays energetic and stays positive and stays upbeat. I know he's in for a very difficult season going forward just because, hey, he's about to be a father. Uh, He's going to be having a lot of sleepless nights and he's going to be playing without Jamal Murray for a lot of the time. So I hope that he approaches this with the vigor that he possibly can. Uh, but most of it was pretty good, and, and he was still his normal jovial self and gave some great quotes. So happy to hear from him. Uh, today, though, Thursday, uh, we had five players that spoke, and so there are a lot of players that still haven't spoken, uh, Jamal Murray being one of them. I do think that Jamal Murray is going to speak, by the way. I think he, we will hear from him on Monday, along with Michael Malone and Tim Connolly, but also hopefully Zeke Naji, Bull Bull. Faku Campazo and Jamichael Green. Hopefully, we hear from that entire crew. Uh, if not, then I'll ask some questions and try to gather as many people as I possibly can to uh, say, "Hey, we want to talk to these guys. We can't have them dipping out on this because this may be the only time that we get to speak with somebody like Bull Bull." So, wanted to go over in the first two segments who spoke today. We had Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Jeff Green. Austin Rivers, and Michael Porter. Uh, I'll talk about the first three in the first segment, last two in the second segment. Then I'm going to do a segment on player rankings, specifically the ESPN ranking that came out and is still in the process of coming out. They haven't released their top five, but they did release all the way up to six, and I have some takes. I have some some grievances that I want to offload that I think people are going to want to stick around for. But let's dive in. Let's get to the actual stuff that matters, the media day takeaways. Aaron Gordon was the first one who spoke. He was very happy to be here. He very much enjoyed playing his role in Denver and that he loves the organization. Those were all things that he said. Those were all things that he uh, gave as reasons for signing his contract extension. And it's really good to see somebody like him being happy with his role. You could definitely justify, if you're Aaron Gordon, if you're a former fourth pick in the draft, if you've been a star player elsewhere, then you could absolutely justify being unhappy with your touches if you come to Denver and you average about 
10, 11 points a night. But he wasn't like that. He was very chill. He was all smiles today. He was very happy to be here and I thought gave a lot of great quotes. Said it was good to, or it, it's good to see that he was happy with his role, even when he wasn't involved. Uh, he did say that he liked handling the ball. I thought this was a great question by Adam Morris, a good friend of the program and my friend as well. Uh, he asked, hey, Aaron, what, what do you like to do most on the court? And I think that that's a really good question for somebody that we don't know too well, given that he was here midseason. Uh, but he said that he really liked handling the ball making dribble moves, breaking somebody down, creating shots for himself, creating shots for others. He also said he loves passing the ball, being able to hit the open guy for a three, hit the open cutter for a dunk, things like that. That's something that he took takes pride in, really enjoys. So it's also a part of his game that I hope that Denver can continue to explore. You don't want him doing too much of it because in order to be an elite pick and roll ball handler nowadays, like or an elite ISO guy, you have to be able to shoot from the outside most of the time. If you can't, then it just makes it that much more difficult, especially for a team like Denver, where they pride themselves on being able to space and cut around Nikola Jokic. And Gordon fits that really well when he's moving off ball. I'm very curious to see how he would handle it in an on-ball perspective. But if you think about it, in Denver's most likely starting lineup, if Gordon was handling a pick and roll with Nikola Jokic, and they were running sets and, and off-ball cutting around him with Michael Porter, Will Barton, uh, and uh, Monte Morris, that's three pretty good shooters on the outside, including one very elite one that can really help space the floor if Aaron Gordon's in a situation where he's got a good matchup. And Nikola Jokic takes advantage of that. So I'd love to see that personally, and I think Denver should try to work that in. I also asked Aaron Gordon about the defensive struggles of the team and in the like in the playoffs, how it was one of the reasons one of the reasons was because of an article that came out today. But I wanted to ask him, because I think that he's gonna be the defensive captain of this team, somebody whose role it's going to be mostly to space and cut and move off ball and then be the the defensive guy. So asking him about the defense is something that he should take solace in, something that he should take ownership of. And he pushed back on the idea of Denver struggling because they didn't have a like they had a bunch of injuries. They didn't have a bunch of guys that were healthy and capable in their main rotation. Lots of guys playing out of position, defending out of position. He believes that, hey, uh, Faku, great defender, PJ, great defender, uh, Will Barton, when he moves back to the two, very good defender, and he knows that he's very good himself. So I think that he believes and that when Jamal Murray comes back with the pieces that they have, that they have a championship team. And that was the, really the common sentiment from a lot of the discussions today, is that everybody's talking about a ring. Everybody's talking about the championship expectations. And that's really good to see if you're this team. Let's move to Will Barton. He was in a really good headspace, and that was really something that stood out with him. Just glowing, just very happy to be here, uh, giving some great positivity and, and good answers and being very authentic and uh, well-spoken 
in a lot of this stuff. And it's one of the reasons why he connects so well with the media and why the media likes him is because he tries. He actually tries at this. He he wants to give good answers. He wants to have that relationship and or I, I'm, I might be putting words in his mouth there or or making some assumptions, but it at least seems that way. And so he was he was in great spirits. He said, and I asked him this, I said, hey, offseason, still pretty short compared to a normal season. And given the last two years, were you able to get away for a little bit and, and kind of refresh, kind of get ready for the year? And he said, rather than getting away, that he felt like he got closer to the game this offseason, that he really took a vested interest in his own development and being better and watching watching film and then just improving his skills, things like that. Uh, it's it's great. And that he was jumping and chomping at the bit for, for getting into training camp. And that's awesome. That When you hear a 10-year vet say that, and this is going to be his 10th year in the NBA, that's a really special thing. You don't always hear veterans being excited about the, the training camp aspect of this. But Barton was, and I think that he's in line for a career year because there's a lot of opportunity for him to step up as a ball handler, to step up as a creator for this team, and to just improve in, in a lot of different aspects. Maybe he gives a career year defensively. Maybe he gives a career year points per game wise. It's, it's definitely within the realm of possibility given the opportunity that he has without Jamal Murray there. So I am very curious to see what he says and what he does. Uh, he also said to the media, we really feel like we have the pieces in place to be a championship team. Uh, that was the quote that I pulled. Um, but he said a lot more than that. Uh, when he speaks, you just listen. And sometimes you get caught up in it because he's very insightful. He's excited to be on the grind again. And was excited about Bones Highland, saying, hey, it takes me back, and in quotes for me, to when, when he was younger. Uh, his intentions are so pure. He was talking about how Bones, uh, he just wanted to come in, and he just wants to play basketball. He's just very excited to grow his game and, and to improve in that regard. And Bones doesn't necessarily understand the politics of the league and understand everything that goes on behind closed doors and whatnot. And That'll probably jade him at some point, but Barton said it reminds him of a young Will Barton and how he felt. And so it was it was nice to see that and nice to see the connection that they have. And then he went full reverend thrill mode uh, when Chris Marlowe commented on his shoulders looking bigger that he had been in the gym. And Will said, hey, thank you for noticing, Marlowe. Really appreciate it that he offered to, to pay for dinner for Marlowe when they when they got back into town. Uh, he's just, he's just great. Just a very, very great, uh, person and just in a really good headspace, which I think is awesome. And I want good things for Will Barton. He came back to Denver. He's now signed a, I think this is a third contract in Denver. He initially signed when, when he was done and when he moved to Denver after the trade from Portland. He signed like a three-year, $9 million deal, something like that. And then he immediately outperformed that. And then in 2018, he was up for a new contract. Signed a four-year, $54 million deal, something like that. 
maybe 53. And he could have taken more money to go to Indiana, decided against it, came back to Denver. And this time around, could have taken more money to go somewhere else, came back to Denver on a two-year, $30 million contract. He's in a great space. I hope he succeeds for the Nuggets' sake, for his sake. Uh, I do think that he's in line for a career year. And then Jeff Green spoke. Uh, true professional. It, this is the first time I think that we've had an opportunity, or I've had an opportunity to be able to speak to him. Uh, he is a true professional who just, he's been around the block, several NBA teams. He's had a cup of coffee with just about half the league here. I think this might be his 11th team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, played with the Clipper, or he start he started with OKC. They went to Boston, or maybe it was the other way around. Uh, he went with the Clippers, went to the Grizzlies, went to uh the Cavs, went to the Rockets, went to the Nets, and I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of teams in there. But or he went to the Magic at one point. Uh, he's just been around the block, so he knows what's going down, and and he wasn't like super excited and pumped and things like that, but that's okay because he's been around the block. He knows how this goes and I think this may be his 15th training camp. So he's uh, he doesn't really have a ton to say, but he's in a new spot. He doesn't want to rock the boat. And so he was just very understanding and comfortable with his situation. I asked him about playoff defense. He, he wasn't in Denver last year, obviously, but he was with the Nets, played a lot of small or power forward, played a lot of center, but he also defended point guards for them a lot of the time. And he talked about switching and versatility being a mentality thing for him. And he's in such great shape and being at 6'8", 230, like he's that perfect amount of versatile for playing up against fives or playing down against point guards, just kind of in that right space where if he puts his mind to it, and if he keeps his head in the right place and moves his feet and just doesn't give up ground, he's going to be good against anybody. So that's one of the reasons why I think he's going to be such a great addition to this group, because he just gives them an opportunity to do so many different things on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's athletic, can get up and, and, and throw down some dunks, get some rebounds, runs the floor in transition. Sets up in the corner for threes, and he's even done some pick and roll stuff with the with the nets and some isolation stuff. So there's going to be times where he's the leading scorer off the bench, and I think it's going to be relatively consistent, actually, unless we see somebody like Bones get in there and succeed. Uh, but for now, I I would bet on Jeff Green averaging double digit points if I were if I were doing such things just because I think that he's going to play a lot, and I think the Nuggets are going to take care of that and take advantage of that often. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Austin Rivers and Michael Porter Jr., what they had to say for their media availabilities. We'll be right back. We're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are just a little bit away from 
training camp starting uh, from Nuggets. Like it was going to be the official media day, but we're going to have our official Denver Stiffs team meeting here over the weekend, and I'm really excited about it. Got a couple of new additions that I can't wait to introduce to you. Uh, they should be very excited. Or they are very excited, and, and I'm excited to have them uh, as just a couple new entrants into the Denver Stiffs family. So it should be a lot of fun. Let's talk more about the media sessions. Start with Austin Rivers here. I love listening to Austin Rivers because the vibe that I got from him when he first entered the NBA and kind of the player that he was, the player that he was assumed to be, is so much different and so much less arrogant, I think, than what he actually is now. He is a true professional and clearly a very good dude. Somebody who maybe I, – I don't, I don't really know what it is about him. Perhaps that he's a, a coach's son. Perhaps that he went to his father's team uh, with the LA Clippers and people – and or he also went to Duke, so that's probably it too. But he's just a very, very good dude. And I, I'm very glad that he came back to Denver this year. He's going to play a role and – even if it's not playing every game, he's going to be very helpful and give Denver some flexibility in that backcourt. He said that he and others wanted to be back here to have a chance to do something special. He said that this may be the best chance of his career to win a championship with the group that they have. And I tend to agree. He's been on the Lob City teams. He's been on Houston with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, but... I genuinely think that this is the best team that he's been on, where you can look around, you can see not only the MVP, but also two clear-cut all-star talents in Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, along with some ballers around around them and Aaron Gordon, Will Barton, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier, Jeff Green, Jamichael Green, etc. So he fits right into that, and he clearly fit right into the culture despite the fact that there were some questions. Uh, there were questions when he was initially brought in. That was one of the reasons why Denver, they wanted to vet him first. But when they talked to him, it clearly it clearly worked. And he's clearly become that great teammate. He also went to bat for Michael Porter, uh, who was right there, by the way. So maybe he was uh, going above and beyond in, in his praise and his uh, discussion on Mike and how he's viewed uh, but he really reiterated that Michael Porter, under underestimated and misunderstood person, somebody who is just a really good dude, very funny, uh, connects well, just isn't the, I think uh, most people would think of him as, as an arrogant asshole, but he's just not that. Neither of those guys are. They're clearly misunderstood folks. And Austin Rivers also said that at 29 years old, he doesn't necessarily care how people view him. It's just he's 29. He has more important priorities in life than trying to change narratives about him. And I don't blame him. He continues to live out his life in the way that he wants to. And that's the only thing that really matters is how he views himself, how those who he cares about their opinion view him as well. And so clearly the Nuggets 
care about Austin Rivers. They wanted him back. He wanted to be back. And there are a lot of veterans that came back and, and have gone to bat for this group and the culture of this group. And he's another one. So they're all talking. They're all texting. And you don't always see that with some of these teams. Sometimes there are pockets. Sometimes there are uh, niche groups. And there's probably some of that still on this team, but they clearly have a group text. They clearly talk very often, and you like to see them connecting with each other. All of them. Austin also said that he hasn't really had conversations about his role yet with the team, but mentioned being the backup shooting guard, that that's kind of what he assumed that he would kind of fall into, and I think he's probably right. He might not play, he may not play a bunch. And I know on the last podcast, I predicted that Bones Highland would get into the get into the rotation because I think they're gonna need that scoring punch, and I think Bones is gonna be more ready than people think. And the one who's directly affected by that is Austin Rivers. But Austin is a professional. He understands how this goes. And I still think that there is a role for somebody like him who can fill in, make sure that other positions are also being filled in well, whether it's a small forward with uh, PJ Dozier at the, the backup spot there, whether it's point guard with Faku Campazo. Perhaps Faku has to take a couple games off and Austin Rivers and Bones Highland, they share the, the point guard responsibilities. And so maybe there's some times where Austin Rivers is the one that's going to run things and Bones Highland gets to play off of him or PJ Dozier. Same thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how Denver works it. But Austin Rivers seems very amenable to the situation. He wanted to be here. He wants to go get a ring. And if that is important to his legacy, then he's going to do everything that he can to add to that. So I think that he's going to be a good addition for this group. Michael Porter, uh, it's clear that he's ready to take the leap. He spent a lot of time talking about what he improved on, about what both his offensive and defensive improvements were, uh, who he worked with, some of the mechanics, some of the skills. And it's just very interesting to hear him discuss some of those things because some of them are just working on his strengths working on what he's best at, becoming the best possible shooter that he can be. Because if he's an elite shooter, then he's always going to have a role. Always. But if he shores up his weaknesses, then he could be a star. On the offensive end, he talked about improving things. He said he worked on his on ball when he worked on his ball handling and he worked on operating in the mid post. Uh, both things I think are going to be really important for him. We've talked about ball handling with him in the past. Uh, if he's more secure, if he's more dynamic and creative, then those things are going to help the entire offense move. And it could help him set up his teammates a little bit better uh, by getting the ball moving and getting himself moving a little bit more with it. Uh, but one thing that not necessarily for playmaking purposes, but for scoring purposes he also talked about operating in the mid-post and mentioned Carmelo Anthony by name as somebody who he understood how important it was to Carmelo Anthony's game to become the best mid-post player that he possibly could. Uh, Kevin Durant, it's very important to him as well. So at six foot ten, 
and with an elite jump shot, if Michael Porter can perfect being in the mid post and understand, hey, I'm going to try to get to this spot. This is going to be my spot. And you're going to have to double me in order to stop me. And even then you may not be able to, then that's really good. That's a really, really good thing. He's going to have to work on making sure to get position, making sure to hold his spot down, and to be able to combat guys like a Jay Crowder who's going to be physical with him, like a Mikhail Bridges who's going to be trying to poke the ball free, like a Chris Paul who's going to be physical, 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 and then once he feels any little bit of physicality, will flop and try to draw a charge. There's going to be a lot of situations for him that he's going to have to navigate in-game, but he is too talented to not be somebody who can catch the ball 15 feet from the basket, 17 feet from the basket, and just completely take advantage of somebody who is ill-equipped to defend him. He should be good enough. And so if he can work on that footwork, work on those moves, it will help him become the best scorer he can possibly be. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. He also talked about working with Steph Curry in the Bay Area for a week. Porter said, hey, Curry's best attribute is his conditioning and game speed is what he said. And it's something that Curry practices. So he wanted to improve that. He wanted to become the best conditioned and the best at playing at top game speed as possible. You look back at Steph Curry highlights, and especially now, he never stops moving. He never, ever lets the defense relax. And the moment they relax is when he's back cutting, uh, getting a little getting a little edge screen or running a clear across to the other side of the floor because he got a step on his guy and is then going to pull up from 30 because his guy wasn't close enough. Michael Porter can do a lot of those same things. Uh, he comes clear across the floor in a lot of cases as well. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing whether he can uh, whether he can be that off-ball menace that Steph Curry is. Now, Steph, his ball handling, his basketball IQ, his ability to read the defense, those are all tied into just how good he can be as an off-ball guy. But if he's just the very best at it and nobody can keep up with him, then it, it sort of dovetails into everything else. So if Porter keeps working on that strength, that's going to be great. And also, he talked about how those drills that they were doing, Steph and him, always were turning into shooting competitions. And a competition implies that both parties were winning games and both parties were having success. So if Michael Porter was taking wins off of Steph Curry in shooting competitions, it says a lot about being a seriously good shooter. On his defensive improvements, uh, he was asked this by Marlowe, I think, and then talked about some other things subsequently. But he said a lot of the stuff that he did defensively was weight room related, just being in the best shape that he possibly could be from agility work to flexibility, some strength work. But there were times where uh, he wasn't those things and, and he was clearly moving in an impinged way in the playoffs, partially because of injury, but probably partially because he was a little bit too stiff anyway. So being more flexible, being more agile, 
that's going to really help. And so I'm I'm curious to see whether he put in the work and if if that looks better this year. That would be great. He also said that it's difficult to simulate defense in the gym because it's hard to simulate going up against elite players. And they cited Kevin Durant. Like, yeah, which trainer, which manager that the that the Nuggets have hired is going to simulate what Kevin Durant can do on the basketball court? I get it. Like that seems like a very difficult thing. Uh the scout team is never great in terms of being able to fully emulate somebody else. So that's one of the things that getting back into the gym, getting back and working five on five will really help in these situations. So as long as he takes that seriously, as long as he dedicates himself to becoming the best defender he can be, then I think it's great. I think he can absolutely make it work. Last thing, he also said that he'd much rather have a ring at the end of the season than any individual award. And for somebody who's working towards a contract, which he also addressed today, by the way, uh, he pushed back on things like most improved. Like he said, he said he'd want to be an all-star like that. That was a goal that he had, but he also said he wanted to win a ring. He wanted to win a championship. And those were, those things were more important to him than the individual accolades. And everybody can say that. And I think when Michael Porter says it, a lot of people are going to be like, okay, dude, like fine, like sure. You're this, elite scorer who takes a lot of selfish shots and you're like, okay, now you want to do stuff for the team. But I genuinely believe him. I I really do that everything that he has said from the minute he got to Denver has always surprised me and always been like, okay, he's very confident. He's extremely confident, hyper-confident in his abilities, but it's never been born out of selfishness. It's never been born out of anything other than just wanting to win and believing that there were times that he was the best option in those cases where he couldn't really see it. But now he's starting to see things. Now he's starting to really appreciate. And it's one of the reasons why I think he's in line for a breakout. I think he's in a good place mentally. I think he knows that he has to step up. He knows that the Nuggets need a lot from him with Murray out, and he is more than willing to be that player. He said he didn't want to change his game to kind of fit what Murray did because he can't really replace Jamal Murray. And if Michael Porter tried to be Jamal Murray, he'd probably be less good at being Michael Porter. So I'm excited for it. Uh, actual last thing is that he did address the contract situation, said that whatever ha- like not whatever happens happens, but uh, it's being handled by his agent. He didn't want to get involved in that. That's what he pays his agent to do uh, is to negotiate these things and to get a deal done, but that he was more focused on the basketball. And I I tend to believe him too. Everything that we have heard about him up to this point is that he's just a basketball junkie. He doesn't want to deal with anything else. And whether it's contracts and endorsements or it's uh, the, the glitz and glamour of the NBA lifestyle, he will take part in those things, and I think he likes the idea of being a star. He likes the idea of being paid like a star, but he knows that that's going to come if he puts in the work, and he prioritizes that first. So, good to see. Uh, I will not be panicking about the contract extension or not even really thinking about it until October 1st. The Nuggets kick off training camp, I think it's September 28th or so. 
Let me check that. Today is the 23rd. Five days from now is Tuesday. That's when they start. And that is September 28th. So if September 28th hits and they haven't done anything yet, they haven't announced anything yet, it sucks that it's holding over everything in training camp. And Porter's probably going to be thinking about it despite what he says. And others will be thinking about it. You want that done. You want that out of the way. And I, I would expect something to get done by the weekend. If it's not, then it didn't get done. And I will really start being concerned by like October 7th. That's the number that I'll put out there. Or day. That's a day. 10-7. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to bitch about player rankings. We'll be right back. here pickaxe and roll thank you so much for making me a part of your day if you could please rate review and subscribe to this podcast five stars if you can want to keep growing this bad boy uh everybody is is very supportive and awesome and i'm I'm experiencing a lot of growth overall uh and it's been it's been awesome to see so thank you so much everybody for the support it really does mean the world it helps me do what i do all right let's talk about player rankings. Let's do this, this whole thing. I'm probably going to title this podcast, Player Rankings or Clickbait, or something like that. And it's mostly true. Here, like, outlets, they know that player rankings are going to be clicked on a bunch. They know that having takes is going to get people to read your piece, see for themselves, be completely surprised, talk about it on Twitter, share more engagement, and get more people to click. That's the formula. That's how it's always been. Been doing this for a long time. I've done it before. I will tell you that mock drafts and player rankings are the two most clicked things on Denver Stiffs and basically everywhere. So especially during the offseason, especially during this time where people are getting geared up, they want to have takes, they're excited, they're they're the team support is through the roof. And if you rank your player, their players wrong, then people are going to come after you. So I think if done well, rankings can be a good thing. They could be instructive. They help set a baseline for what matters most in the NBA, for what people can and should care about. Uh, I've always done player rankings, and it's more for my benefit than anybody else's. I will share it occasionally. I'm not doing player rankings now that I'm a site manager, uh, just because I feel like the connections are more important and pissing people off is not a good idea. But what I will say, Seth Partnow over at The Athletic, I've referenced his rankings a lot. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, you should go read it. You should go see what he did with the number of posts that he had, basically explained his process, didn't rank players. Uh, didn't rank players, but put them in tiers instead. And I thought that what he did there was awesome. Put players into different ranges. Said, okay, 
if you get if you're ranked two and this person is ranked five, then that makes a lot of people mad. But if I put this group of people in the same tier, then people can't be mad. People don't argue. And at the at the end of the day, you're just trying to find superstars, all stars, starting caliber players, rotation players. That's really what you're trying to find if you are building a team. And so it doesn't necessarily matter which superstar you have in a lot of cases, because all of them are very good. Nikola Jokic is very good. Steph Curry is very good. Luka Doncic is very good. And they're all about the same. They are all, like, frankly. I think Jokic is probably a little bit underrated by the masses. But in reality, this superstar group that we have, that includes Kawhi, though he's out, Giannis, KD, LeBron, Jokic, Luka, Curry, Harden, Embiid, Dame, Anthony Davis. I think that's 11 guys, and I think they're all really good. I think they're all in pretty close to the same tier, and you could like have hairpin slices of that into different tiers if you want to. But it's not that different. Now, there are some people who don't take this as seriously or who do this from a different perspective where it's more clickbaity. Uh, Seth Partnow doesn't do that. He had Jokic in the same tier as Curry, Luka, and Harden in the 4-7 to seven range, and I think that's justifiable. Sports Illustrated, they've done well with theirs too. They have a panel of writers who also discuss their rankings on a podcast, take you through their process, help you understand why they did certain things, what they're looking for, what they believe, and then we'll face the criticism in that case. And that's good. You want people to be able to own up it, own up to it. Like if you create something, you don't just shoot it into the ether and let somebody else kind of take the fall for it. You own it. That's how you're supposed to do it. I will never not do that. And they ranked Denver's players the following. Nikola Jokic ranked fifth behind Steph Curry. Jamal Murray ranked 49th, but it was due to injury. And they said that, hey, he'd be much higher uh, if the expected performance was at his normal level, but it's going to be at a uh, post-ACL level. And I, I think that's fair. I th- I understand that. I, I could definitely acknowledge that. Michael Porter came in at 52 behind Lamella Ball, Tobias Harris, Clint Capella. That's fine. I'd have him higher, but that's fine. Aaron Gordon came at 63 behind Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Marcus Smart, I think Aaron Gordon and Marcus Smart are in the same tier uh, as kind of those elite role players that you need if you're going to want to win a title. Uh, Now, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, hard to really grade them. They haven't really done anything to be valuable for a winner, but in a vacuum, they're probably better for wins if you're starting a team with them, I guess. I don't know. And then Will Barton went unranked. So, I don't think that's fair. I think that Will Barton is the top 100 player, and I think he's going to prove it this year. Then ESPN put their rankings out, and they had a lot of takes. There was a lot, a lot of takes. Uh, we don't know the top five of their of their thing. We know the players that are going to be in there. They were adamant about that. They wrote an article about that and basically had everybody make a case for 
who should be number one uh, in that top five. I think they missed a particular big fella there. Um, but the rest of their list had just some very extreme, questionable placements. Uh, John Wall at 85. Empty calories guy right now. Just isn't helpful in any way, shape, or form. There is no reason to rank him in the top 100 until he proves that he can get back and get healthy. Like, actually be a useful player that doesn't just rack up stats on a bad team. Larry Markinen at 82. He's going to go to Cleveland to be the sixth man. Like, they're probably, like, having talked with Justin Rowan on this podcast, they're starting Jared Allen over him, and they're probably going to start their rookie Evan Mobley over him at the four. So Larry Markin, Markin in at 82, I, I don't get it. I don't think he was very good last year, and I don't think the year before was anything to write home about either. So what are we doing? Lonzo Ball at 57? I don't get it. I don't think he does a lot of things that, like, he still struggles with a lot of the things that you need from a guard. Kind of like Ben Simmons in that way, but... It's more dribbling with him and creating off the dribble than it is shooting with Ben Simmons. So I think Lonzo Ball at 57 is really just a name value thing. I think that I would take Will Barton over him right now. Buddy Heald, same thing. Buddy Heald ranked 51st. And despite the fact that he scores a bunch, he was probably the worst defensive player in the NBA last year or somewhere close to it. Just didn't care. Just didn't do anything. And the fact that the Sacramento Kings couldn't really get anywhere close to the playoff picture, despite the fact that De'Aaron Fox averaged 25-7, and that they have Harrison Barnes, who's on this list, that they had Tyrese Halliburton, who was ranked pretty high on this list, that Rashawn Holmes should have been ranked on this list, should be in the top 100. I don't know if he was. But Buddy Heald at 51, you're starting to talk about a team that has like real playoff talent, it doesn't add up because they weren't close. DeAndre Ayton at 35, that's jumping the gun in my opinion. I don't think that DeAndre Ayton should rank higher than Michael Porter. Like, what are we doing? There's no reason for this. Uh, He never had to defend an elite pick and roll team. I think that really makes a difference. Uh, Never had to defend Kawhi Leonard. Never had to defend Jamal Murray. And uh, got let off the hook when Anthony Davis was beating him. And the Lakers were beating him, including LeBron. They were winning. Klay Thompson at 32. I think that's way too aggressive. Off a torn ACL and a torn Achilles. Like, what are we doing here? He's not going to be better than so many of these other guys. Like De'Aaron Fox. Like, Fox is going to be better than Klay Thompson this year. Sorry. Like, he's definitely going to be better. Brandon Ingram at 26, also just an empty calories guy at this point. Not sure what he does that is really helpful for that team. The fact that they had Zion Williamson, who averaged like 27 a night, and Brandon Ingram couldn't help them win in any way, shape, or form, despite the fact that they had other elite guys. Like, if Lonzo Ball is ranked 57th, and Brandon Ingram is 26th, I think Zion is going to be ranked, I think he was ranked 23rd or so. 
Like, they should have been in the playoffs. And clearly it didn't work. Most of the top 25, after that, the the 6-25 to list was pretty good. Bradley Beal at 11, though, that's insulting to the top 10. Because all of those guys are absolutely better in that they've led their teams to wins and, and to be productive and they've had playoff success. And Beal is still struggling with that. He actually struggled in the playoffs. He couldn't be efficient. And they lost to the Sixers in five games. You know, the same Sixers that kind of fell apart against the Atlanta Hawks. Like Bradley Beal at 11. I think they had Trey Young at 17. I think I might switch those. Although, that might be a little high for Trey. Just move down, Beal. And then the big fell at six. But I'm, I'm going to get to him. I'm going to get to him. Because here, here's who they have for the Nuggets. Jamal Murray was unranked due to his major injury. They did the same thing with Kawhi Leonard. And I'm fine with that. Like, if you're ranking and projecting for this year, and you don't believe that those guys are going to play, though they are definitively good enough that they should be on the list, taking them off and, and mentioning that is fine. I'm okay with that. They did have Will Barton at 97, which is better than than SI, but they still had Jalen Green, the second overall pick, ahead of Will Barton? Like, are we sure that Jalen Green is going to be a helpful NBA player anytime soon? Like, that seems it seems like a far-reaching statement. I, I very much doubt it, but hey, you, you never know. Aaron Gordon at 69 was nice, uh, directly behind Spencer Dinwiddie, Boyan Bogdanovich, Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, way too low, by the way. If we're talking about who matters most to the Phoenix Suns and, and why, like, I think that DeAndre Ayton should have been closer to about 45 and uh, Mikhail Bridges should be right behind him. Like at like 50. But yeah, like it, it just doesn't make sense why Mikhail Bridges was at like 66. Aaron Gordon, though, 69. Uh, he was at 63 on the other list. That's fine. Above average starter. Uh, basically, probably the the 13th best power forward on average. Something like that. So you're paying for an above average starter. And that's what the Nuggets are getting. That's what I genuinely believe. And he's also a great fit. ESPN had Michael Porter at 41, which is a little bit higher than than SI, and I think more in line with where he should be, was directly ahead of Julius Randle, which felt uh, very interesting given that Randle was all NBA last year. Randle was at 42. That feels like a take. Like It feels like an overreaction for what was a bad playoffs against his first playoff matchup as the first option. So, whatever. But... Also behind DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, fair. I think I think Michael Porter is in that tier of player. The uh, all-star guys slash uh, right below the all-star f- threshold. I think that that is a fair place. Anywhere from about 30 to 45. And then you get to Jokic. Because Jamal Murray was unranked. You get to Jokic and he's at six. And... He's behind Steph Curry and Luka Doncic, which, okay, that's fine. You could probably rank all three of them in some order. Like, 
if you ranked Steph Curry 6, Luka Doncic 5, Jokic 4, you don't think anybody would have put a stink about that. Jokic was the MVP after all. But it's not always about the order. It's not always about uh, like where you place guys. It's about the feeling behind it and about what you were trying to accomplish with that placement. Why you believe he's there. What matters to you. That's how I view this. I, I don't view this as a takesman thing. I view this as a, hey, I believe that this player should be here because of this, because of that. And then you you justify. And ESPN certainly did some justification, or, or Kirk Goldsberry did. Excuse me, Kirk Goldsberry. He's their analytics guy over at ESPN, or at least one of them. Uh, yeah. ESPN broke down their list to 6 to 25. Basically, everybody but the top five in the top 25 was, was here. And the title of the thing, the title of the article that they put out today was why the reigning MVP is ranked outside the top five. So think about that for a second. They were talking about why Jokic wasn't the top five, trying to justify, trying to say, hey, this is something that we believe. This is something that we think, and we think that you'll be interested in it. And so here is what they had to say. Here's what Kirk Goldsberry had to say about Jokic. This is a full quote. I'm going to read the entire thing. Jokic and the Nuggets got blown off the court by the Suns in the second round. Why? They couldn't get stops when it mattered most. With Jokic on the floor in the postseason last year, the Nuggets logged an embarrassing defensive rating of 123.5. That just won't get you wins against the best teams out West. Make no mistake, Jokic deserved the MVP last year. But if he wants to climb higher on lists like this, he needs to find ways to become a more complete two-way star. (sighs) Okay. This is why Nuggets fans constantly feel disrespected, constantly get irritated with national media types, and constantly believe that they are like just being penalized for being a small market, for being a mid-market. Because people aren't really paying attention. Apparently, Denver getting cooked defensively, it was all Jokic's fault, people. That 123.5 defensive rating when Jokic was out there, that was all on him. Now, that's not true. If you were watching the games, if you were watching the series, I think Nate Duncan would say that it's true. But he'd be wrong. Because his feelings on Jokic are incorrect. It had nothing to do Their defensive collapse had nothing to do with the rest of the team at all. Had nothing to do with the burden that Jokic was bearing without his star teammate in Jamal Murray. Or the injuries to the rest of the backcourt, including their best defensive guard, who would have been really helpful in P.J. Dozier. Will Barton didn't play in the first game, came off the bench for the second two, and then got back into the starting lineup in game four, but it was already too late at that point. Monte Morris? He came off the bench for the first three games as well. Didn't play a ton until game four. And the Denver was their most connected at that point. Michael Porter, apparently tweaking your back and in game one of that series and then not being the same, not being stiff. 
not being able to defend, that was on Jokic, people. That was on Nikola Jokic. And it wasn't the two-way it was the two-way comment really that really just grinds my gears because all the while you have Jokic who was an MVP this year was doing his stuff was getting better defensively overall lots of people including myself have made comments about that have been able to discuss that and have been able to justify those statements with actual facts it is a fact that he had a 123.5 defensive rating in the playoffs. But that is just one number. And using one number as the basis for him being bad defensively, him getting cooked defensively, is just wrong. And then rather than speaking in positive terms about your MVP, you put him down. You say he isn't a two-way player. You find ways to disparage him. You don't support the guy who just won, who's going to be in his prime for the next three to five years. Oh, and by the way, your two-way player comment doesn't hold fruit, doesn't hold water, doesn't bear fruit. When Steph Curry and Luka Doncic are going to be in the top five, because it's not like those two weren't also being taken advantage of in crucial situations. The Mavericks got demolished by Kawhi Leonard, by Paul George, by Reggie Jackson in the first round. Offensively, Dallas couldn't defend. They couldn't do anything. They had to bring in uh, Boban. They had to go to a full-on zone. A lot of it was because Kristaps Porzingis is a worse defender than Nikola Jokic, but nobody wants to talk about that. In those crucial moments of those series, or for Curry in the play-in tournament, and then for Luka in his series against Kawhi, Kawhi hunted Luka Doncic in that series. He took advantage of him. He went at him in isolation, and Luka couldn't stop him. Steph Curry, John Morant kept hunting him in the play-in game, the last game of his season, and Curry couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't do anything to stop Kyle Anderson. But nobody wants to talk about that, because those guys are popular. Those guys are the face of the NBA. You've got Curry, who's been an MVP multiple times, who's had multiple titles, who's very connected to ESPN. Very connected to the viewership of the league, one of the faces, one of the people that they've decided to market. You've got Luka Doncic, who was initially or was immediately crowned the face of the league, and who ESPN has had nothing but glowing things for, for the entire time that he has been in this league. And they're going to be celebrated. They're going to be given credit for what they've accomplished, as they should be, by the way. But it's Jokic who's going to be disparaged. It's Jokic who needs to do more, to be more than the MVP last year, to be more than make up for Michael Porter's injured back, you know, tweaked back from back spasms. It's not an actual injury to his surgically repaired back. Jokic needs to do more. When Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers were his starting backcourt entering the playoffs. When Marcus Howard was getting key time, Shaq Harrison was getting key time, 
because Denver was without incredibly important guards for their playoff run. But nobody wants to talk about that, least of all ESPN. So it is irritating that Jokic gets this vitriol, that he gets the short end of the stick in all of these conversations, in that when you have somebody next to him who could be the MVP all of last year, everybody always had to talk about that. They always had to say, oh yeah, we should be talking about this person for MVP. I actually think that this person deserves consideration for MVP. I actually think it's this person's to lose and that Jokic is in second place. That's all we heard last year. And then when it comes down to vote, you realize, oh wait, this guy was the best. This guy was the best for the entire year. I want Jokic to repeat as an MVP for that reason. He was dominant all year, had one moment of weakness, maybe two, and everyone couldn't wait to jump back on that bandwagon of killing him for it. It's like he stole the MVP away from somebody else. LeBron James, for one, where he always thinks he deserves it. He deserves everything. He's LeBron, the best player of all time, which he has a credible argument to be. But Jokic was better than him last year. He was better than everybody last year in the regular season. And then he also averaged 29, 11, and 5 in the playoffs. Unlike 51, 38, 84. Something like that. But nobody wants to talk about that. I hope that he comes back, puts together another MVP caliber year, and just blocks out the noise. Pull a Giannis, ignore the haters, ignore what's going on, and just fight through it, get better, get going, and win. There's literally zero reason why Jokic can't carry the Nuggets during this time, win another MVP, or at least put himself in the conversation. And then Murray comes back, Porter's been an all-star already, the Nuggets are clicking, and they take it to a title. There is no reason... Why they can't do that. But everybody's always going to try to find something. And that's why we got to try to keep them honest. Because it's very irritating. To keep seeing this every time I log on, man. Stupid. Jokic is awesome. Jokic is great. He also cares about this, believe it or not. And I hope that he takes it personally, because if that's what motivates him, then so be it. Find your fire, block out the haters, and just keep doing what he's doing, because what he's doing is all-time shit. He's going to go down as one of the greats, one of the very best. And he's going to be backing into the, the best player conversation. God, this is just irritating. Clickbait, it is what it is. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this vitriol performance of Pickaxe and Roll. Uh, I really appreciate you all. I hope everybody has a great weekend. I'm in a really good place, despite the fact that I put on that absolute show. Um, We are going to be back on Monday 
and I will be joined by a special guest. I believe who I know it's going to be, but I'm, I'm going to ask them and make sure. And going to be previewing this Nuggets season, what we're expecting, what we're hoping for from training camp, and then covering all of that as it comes out. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.